0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the new listeners. If you have been here before, welcome back. Thanks for coming again. Our story this week focuses on a new study that was commissioned by the Rwandan government. The study looks into the role that France may have played in the 1994 genocide. Among other stories, we will also highlight the severe drought in Mexico, a fire on Table Mountain in South Africa, and a malaria vaccine that has been hailed as a potential breakthrough. I am your host, Yemi, and every week I bring you Overlook stories from all around the world. As you will see from this episode, the stories include the good, the bad, the random, and the weird. If you ever, ever come across a story that you think should be on the podcast, just reach out on social media through the link that is provided in the show notes. The government of Rwanda commissioned a study into the role that France played in the genocide of 1994, where it is estimated that about 800,000 people lost their lives within a 100-day period. The report was formally presented to the Rwandan cabinet last week. The report alleges that the French government bears significant responsibility for enabling the foreseeable genocide. The 600-page report, prepared by Levy Firestone Muse LLP, an American company, It's called a foreseeable genocide. The Rwandan government believed that bringing an outside law firm based neither in France nor in Rwanda could best help shed light into the public's understanding of the facts around France's role. In 2019, President Emmanuel Macron of France ordered the creation of the Research Commission on the French Archives related to Rwanda and the genocide against the Tutsi, called the Dolcart Commission. Several weeks ago, the Commission issued its report and conclusions. In many respects, the findings in France's reports align with those from the Rwandan report. However, there are key areas where they do not align, and Rwanda's report actually outlines these areas. These areas are... First, unlike Rwanda's report, the French report did not come to a conclusion on the issue of responsibility. Specifically, the French report speaks on responsibility in abstract terms, without assigning the responsibility to the French government. Rwanda's report, on the other hand, is more direct in assigning responsibility to the government of France. In fact, it assigns significant responsibility to the government of France. Secondly, the French report concludes that the French government was blind to the coming genocide. Rwanda's report refutes that. Rwanda's report concludes that the genocide was foreseeable. In Rwanda's report, it concludes that there was knowledge of massacres of civilians, daily dehumanization of the Tutsi people, and other data that arrived from Rwanda. Essentially, the conclusion drawn is that the government of France was neither blind nor unconscious about the foreseeable genocide. And finally, the third key area is a discussion on the cover-up in the quarter century after the genocide. Unlike France's reports... That does not even address the quarter century after the genocide. Rwanda's report details and examines the alleged cover-up, obstruction, and false narratives promulgated by the French government since 1994. Rwanda's report also acknowledges that the French report had limitations, which were in part borne by the government of France that has withheld critical documents. The authors of the Rwanda report also said that they found no evidence that French officials or personnel participated directly in the atrocities. As uncomfortable as the report is, articles broadly appear to agree that it is important to have a common understanding of the past to mark a turning point in the relationship between both countries and hopefully, hopefully move forward. There is disturbing news that drought conditions have now covered 85% of Mexico. The mayor of Mexico City has said that the ongoing drought is the worst in 30 years. Some reservoirs like the Villa Victoria Reservoir, which is located west of the capital, are now sitting at one-third of their normal capacity, with a month and a half to go before any significant rain is expected. Mayor Claudia Sheinbaum has said that the effects of the drought have become worse because more people have tended to water their lawns and gardens. The residents of Mexico City rely on reservoirs like Villa Victoria and two others for a quarter of their water. These reservoirs are now less than half of their normal capacity. For context, there has been about 25% less rainfall this year compared to the average for the same period between the years 1981 and 2010. An out of control fire started burning on Table Mountain in Cape Town and has now spread to some of South Africa's most famous landmarks. According to a statement from South Africa's National Parks, a vacated vagrant fire may have been responsible for the blaze. Table Mountain is a protected conservation area and is also one of South Africa's most iconic tourist attractions. It overlooks the whole of Cape Town and the surrounding area and welcomes roughly 1 million visitors each year. Unfortunately, there has also been damage to some historical landmarks. Mustard's Mill, a historic windmill near the University of Cape Town that was built in 1796, has been badly damaged by the fire. It also spread to the University of Cape Town and burns the school's historic library. The University of Cape Town's Jaga Library houses more than 1,300 collections of unique manuscripts and personal papers of prominent South Africans dating back to the 18th century. The collection of books and pamphlets exceeds 85,000 on African studies alone. But fortunately, and as luck would have it, not everything was destroyed. The library's fire doors closed automatically. This prevented the fire from spreading and may, in fact, have saved more archives held in the basement, including records of the campaign against white minority rule in South Africa. City officials said a suspect had been detained amid speculation that new fires may have been started and the original fire was an act of arson. Meanwhile, hikers in the Table Mountain National Park have been urged to leave and residents in the area have been told to keep both the windows and the doors closed because of all the smoke and the soot in the air. A malaria vaccine that has proven to be 77% effective in early trials could, in fact, be a major breakthrough against the disease, according to the research team from the University of Oxford. This vaccine has the potential to have a major public health impact, as malaria kills more than 400,000 people each year, mostly children located in sub-Saharan Africa. Malaria is a life-threatening disease caused by parasites that are transmitted to people through mosquito bites, although it is preventable and curable. The World Health Organization estimates that there were 229 million cases worldwide in 2019 and just over 400,000 deaths. The vaccine trial was done in Burkina Faso and found to be safe. In addition, it showed a high level of efficacy over 12 months of follow-up. The initial trial was conducted on 450 children in Burkina Faso. As a next step, larger trials on nearly 5,000 children between the age of 5 months and 3 years will be carried out across four African countries as a way to confirm the findings. The most effective malaria vaccine to date has only shown a 55% efficacy in trials. This new vaccine is believed to be the first to reach the World Health Organization's goal of at least 75% efficacy. The trials of this malaria vaccine started in 2019, long before the coronavirus appeared, and the Oxford team developed its COVID vaccine with AstraZeneca on the strength of its research into malaria. According to reports, a malaria vaccine has taken a much longer time to come to fruition because there are thousands of genes in malaria when compared to around a dozen that are in the coronavirus and a very high immune response is needed to fight off the disease. This next story is literally about a baby boom, not a baby boomer, a baby boom. So last week, residents of several New Hampshire towns were startled, to say the least, by a blast that rattled homes and could be heard far and wide. It turns out that it was for a gender reveal party. The family used 80 pounds of tenorite, a highly explosive substance used for firearms practice. The man who brought and detonated the tenorite turned himself in and police have now said that they are determining whether he will face any charges. The New Hampshire explosion is the latest gender reveal party to make headlines. Others have had more serious outcomes and in fact have turned some celebrations into tragedies. In this case, a lot of residents in the area thought the blast was actually an earthquake. It damaged properties in the area, a lot of which are still being assessed. To wrap this one off, and just in case you were wondering, the baby's a boy! Yay! Finally, to wrap this episode up, Spain has given domesticated animals the same legal status as humans. Hold up, hold up. Hear this one out. The new law now classifies cats, dogs, and other domestic animals as living beings that have feelings with regard to inheritances or custody disputes related to divorce. This means that when a judge decides who should have the family pets, they also must consider welfare of the animal as they will do if they were dealing with children. Under the new law, mistreatment of pets will also be regarded as a crime as if the owner had abused another person. In addition, similar to humans, if someone finds an abandoned pet, they have a public duty to try to locate the owner or inform the authorities as they will do if they came across a lost child. While I didn't expect it, I found that the reaction to the storyline has been mixed. Some have called it ridiculous to legislate that pets have feelings and hold the same weight similar to a child. Others vehemently disagree with this view and have been celebrating the new law calling it more compassionate. Spain is actually not the first country to do this. It joins France, Germany, Austria, and Portugal, which are the other European countries which have given pets the same legal status. Where do you fall on this one? Do you think that this new rule is worth celebrating, or do you think it's just ridiculous as some have said? And in fact, what does this really imply? While the article highlights some key areas which I've discussed here, discussion threads have actually brought up other questions around Say, for example, bodily autonomy of animals with implications for breeding, neutral, or even spaying. So let's chat in the comment section of this post on either Instagram or Facebook. The link to connect is going to be in the show notes. Let me know what you think. Do you think this is going too far? Do you think this is just enough? Do you think this is something that should be more widespread? Share your thoughts in the comment section. With that, we come to the end of this episode, folks. Have yourselves a great day great week ahead thank you for listening don't forget to tune in every week for a new episode Overlooked is a Tunuka Media production which also includes shows like Africa in My Kitchen with more on the way so follow Tunuka Media on Instagram youtube facebook and twitter to be in the loop until next time have yourself a great week ahead